Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Asiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today's episode number 406, a well-designed financial plan with Imperium Capital. And we had done enough work together that we knew that we were all kind of looking for something different. We didn't know what that different thing was going to be, but we knew that we were all pretty pretty entrepreneurial minded and wanted to have the ability to create a organization that we could we could have our fingerprints all over and our DNA and something that would last a lot longer than three of us, right? Normally on the show, I have a military veteran as my guest. We talk about what they do, how they got there, and advice to others seeking to do the same. Today, I am doing that, but with three guests, (laughs) two Army and West Point grads, one Naval Academy and fellow submariner who joined forces to found Imperium Capital. There's a lot that I love about this interview, and it is a blend of talking about financial planning and tips that anyone listening can apply to their career to get themselves more financial freedom and stability, as well as a lot about entrepreneurship and building up skill sets. Um, Here's a couple things that stood out to me. First of all, I love the story of how they met and decided to start this company. And you're going to get three different perspectives on what drew these people to the finance industry and also to entrepreneurship. And they are three different versions with some overlap, which was really cool to see. What I love as well is that they each had clarity in what they were wanting in their career, and that plays a role in financial planning. They talk about the clarity that you need when it comes to finances, but you can also see that clarity applied in each of their career journeys. One thing that I learned in this interview was, or is reminded of, is just how you can take risks in your career outside of the military in a way that you might not be able to in the military, and how it's a way to get insights around what you like and dislike, how it gives you room to explore. We talk about the advantages of working within a big company and learning a trade set skill set before going on to entrepreneurship. We talk about interviewing companies rather than being interviewed by them. We talk a whole lot about finances and just a lot of things that are top of mind for me as I grow my family. And I know you will benefit from that as well. As always at beyondtheuniform.org, we have show notes with links to everything we discuss. Uh, They talk about Commit Foundation. They talk about Bunker Labs. I'll link to those organizations as well as the interviews that we did with them, as well as a link to Imperium Capital, where you can learn more about these guys and what they're doing. So with that, let's dive in to my conversation with Chris Rodeski, Brandon Stevenson, and Nick Berger. Joining me today, just a stone's throw away from where I'm seated right now, seated right now in Colorado Springs. I'm joined by three people, Chris Rojeski, Brandon Stevenson, and Nick Berger. Chris, Brandon, and Nick, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Thanks, Justin. Thanks. Great pleasure to be here. So I've got a ton of questions. We'll try to have this be uh, in a orderly fashion, but let me give everyone a background. This is kind of what I've pieced together from looking online. So Chris started out at West Point in 2011. He served in the army for eight years. 
And then he spent two and a half years between New York Life Insurance and Northwestern Mutual. Then he co-founded a company called Imperium Capital, which we're going to talk about today. Uh, Brandon was at West Point in 2007, 10 years in the Army, and then four years at Northwestern Mutual. And then Nick was Naval Academy, the oddball of the group. Uh, went to Harvard Kennedy School, close to nine years on submarines, and then at Northwestern Mutual. So I've got a ton of questions about how you guys met, but give us a picture of what Imperium Capital is, because I think we're going to get into that. But I want to rewind the clock after that. But let's start with you bump into a Naval Academy or West Point grad on the street, and they're like, hey, what do you guys do at Imperium Capital? How do you guys answer that? Pretty simply, just a wealth management firm that um, is in the business of serving the needs of a, a broad spectrum of clientele. But um, what we're really passionate about is the, the military or veteran-owned business, uh, business owners themselves, and then um, those same individuals that find themselves running into liquidity events, uh, potentially unexpected, and just need a way to navigate uh, the, the same planning process that we had in the military, which is how do we identify you know, pitfalls in estate planning or current tax codes, the way that they stand the year the liquidity event happens, and really just trying to be as efficient as possible in, in all, all stages of both family planning, business planning, and liquidity events. Great. And so I, I want to hear kind of the, the each of your stories on how you got into this industry, but I'm really curious to know how you all met. I'm guessing it, you got this through line of Northwestern Mutual because, you know, when I first started looking into your story, I thought, man, maybe they knew each other at West Point, but then you guys are spaced out weird. And then you've got the Naval Academy connection. So how was it that the three of you happened to meet? Great question. <laughs> yeah. So we were all doing a, a tremendous amount of what we called joint work at the old firm. That just meant that we were playing on off each other's strengths when it came to business development, investment proposal analysis, investment proposal design. And we we just realized that, you know, three are stronger than one when it comes to providing the right amount of expertise and and value to whatever client we were sitting in front of. So we're all just doing a lot of work together and I'm sure we'll get into it, but then we had an opportunity and all of our entrepreneurial spirits seem to align, I guess. That's awesome. I know we've got three of you, but let's get everyone's story. How was it that you went from the military into this industry in general? I'll start that one off. So my wife and I, my wife and I met at West Point. We got married in the cadet chapel. We had our 40 minute time block the day after graduation. <laughs> and we were both finishing company command. And although we loved the military, enjoyed it, and arguably were good at it, at least she was. She had two commands as an intel officer and an outstanding professional. But we are on our second child. And we're just kind of thinking there's no real conflicts right now. Let's let's look at our branch plans. You know, we have our own family training meetings pretty often, at least once a month. And we were looking into the next step for ILE, um, getting promoted to major. What does that look like? And really, we didn't give it a lot of thought, but one of the branch plans was to get out. And I came back from a hunting trip. That was the first one since uh, I started the military. That was over more than just a weekend to try and get out somewhere close and convenient. And Katie saw how happy I was. She said, you know, maybe we should look into that third branch plan a little bit more. Would you want to do what you love other than the military? I was like, 
yeah, let's think about it. So we did. And I looked into purchasing an archery shop, being an entrepreneur, and I ended up not doing that and saw the financial industry as a way to meet a lot of people and learn a lot about different businesses and just really grow skills along the way. And um, as I realized, it's not as as easy to pivot as I want it to be because you gain clients. And now you're not loyal to a firm per se, as you are to the military. But now that you have clients, you really got to think about now, this is a great place to learn a lot, but let's be diligent on how we're going to serve them and transition that if I do change my mind. But we both transition. Uh, Katie is now a GS civilian for Space Force and now uh, in the financial industry. We'll get into the details more, but um, one of the great resources I had was the BTU, your podcast. And I love how you structured it to see what was this person's background? What are they doing now? And what was the in-between on how they got there? And I really got to dive into a couple of different things that I was interested in. And now we're here. And I was like, one of the first things I thought of when we got established, we got our firm together. I was like, hey, I would love to show the perspective of our story from the insurance starting point in the financial industry to having our own business. Um, so that's why we're here. I dragged these guys along. Nick's the smart <laughs> one. So he would much rather do all the work. And then Brandon and I talk about it. But that's why we're here. And that was my transition story in a, in a nutshell. Let me pause before we go on to Brandon and Nick. One just quick question that comes up for me, Chris. It sounds like you knew you wanted to do entrepreneurship. And I'm guessing like kind of your first thought was like, well, I'm passionate about hunting. I'm passionate about archery. Therefore, I'll go into business there. What advice do you have? Because you you veered towards something else. And I'm just kind of curious because that's a common question for entrepreneurs is that thought process of like, this is what I love. Therefore, I should start a company. Any advice for how to think about that if someone's set on entrepreneurship? Just for me, I looked at, so the financial industry is what I ended up choosing. The main reason for that is, you can set your own schedule. Now, that's tempting for a lot of people. And as entrepreneurs know, as disciplined as you want to be and as efficient you want to be, you can. So I was able to go the financial route to learn a new skill and do something that would put food on the table and then have time to go to take my kids to school, gymnastics practice, go hunt. So I got to do both of those things and try a different career path. So the financial industry is what I chose because I love to hunt and I could now do that with a flexible schedule, but all it takes is discipline and meeting good guys to learn from and, and do it together with. It just compounded into like a beautiful story that I'm very happy to be on that path towards. That's great. And one other question, did you know that you wanted to go into entrepreneurship and it was like, I will do a couple of years elsewhere to learn the ropes or was it that you were doing it and then you decided to, to kind of go off on your own? Absolutely. I figured that with the flexible schedule and the really the business we're in business developing, talking to people is our job and helping them and getting to know them with this side of, you know, the private sector, I got to meet a lot of people and a lot of businesses. And I figured I'd get established in St. Louis where my family's from. It ended up working out because of army pulled me back and we might get into that later, but I can learn who's who really. And I, another resource is Bunker Labs for veteran entrepreneurs. I volunteered there. We established a chapter in St. Louis and I really did get to know a lot of great people before I took the jump. Starting the financial industry is typically more franchise related than entrepreneur related. They're going to teach you. So I got to do that. So yes, absolutely. I thought for me, 
to get established first and then maybe jump in head first would be better. Turned out working out pretty well. That's great. I, I mean, it's just something I'll name is um, I think about that a lot. I went business school and then I spent 10 years in entrepreneurship and, and I'm kind of at a point where I'm like, you know, reflecting on that journey and realizing that apprenticeship period, that period of like learning a skill can be really valuable. It's something I long for. How about you, Brandon? What was your journey from West Point 2007, 10 years in the army to Northwestern Mutual? Yeah, great question, right? Because I think just like anybody that's getting out of the military, we we look back and realize that, holy cow, I've really only known the Army for about 15 years, right? So as we look at the broad left and right limits of, I always make the joke, like, did I want to be a suit on Wall Street or a bartender in Tijuana, right? <laughs> I don't know. But it's, but it's somewhere in between. And I think speaking to your point, I realized I didn't know anything about any industry. I could have stayed in inside of like defense contracting, that would have been in my wheelhouse. I spent my last five years on a special forces team. So could have done the contracting gig and a, a number of different facets or gone to a different different agency if I could have passed the lifetime poly and <laughs> um, <laughs> lifestyle poly. But I knew I had an entrepreneurial spirit. My parents owned a, a funeral homes up in Montana, North Dakota. I watched my dad build a reputation within a community. And that's what I thought I would find a lot of fulfillment in doing. And I also knew, to your point, kind of a, you know, a, an easy button into the financial industry is a wirehouse where you can gain a lot of experience in a lot of different facets of the industry or inside of a, an insurance company that also houses investments because you get the full wealth management spectrum. You just don't have to know everything about everything to provide sound recommendations to someone because you just made a career move. So you've got a steep learning curve um, and you need a lot of backside support. And that's a, it's a very low cost and low barrier to entry to gain that experience and, and start to, to figure out your planning heuristics and, and how you're gonna make recommendations. Um, so I think that's, looking back on it, that's what happened. I didn't know that's what was gonna happen. <laughs> Uh, you know, one thing I'll just point out for listeners that I really appreciate so far from Chris and Brandon's story is that, and correct me if I'm, if I'm superimposing a story here that's not here. I feel like sometimes we hear these stories of people who knew what they wanted to do from an early age. Like I always knew I wanted to go into the finance industry, which is not either of your stories. What I'm hearing more of is that there was a desire to be entrepreneurial and you just kind of picked a swim lane and you went with it. And why I think that's so valuable for listeners is to kind of depressure that decision of having the answers and instead say, look, you know, a general direction you want to go, pick a swim lane, learn a craft, and, and something can come from that rather than dithering and, and spending too much time pro and con Excel spreadsheet, thinking of all the options, you know, you can probably find something entrepreneurial in any industry, pick one, learn and go. So I kind of like this bias towards action that's in your story. Yeah, I appreciate that. And that's one thing that I think like, took a lot of pressure off my shoulders is I had a mentor tell me, this is not you deciding you're going to, you're going to go to West Point and now you've got a nine-year commitment you're staring in the face. Mm. Like that first job you have outside of the military is, is not and probably won't be your last job. Right? That doesn't have to be your next career. And the fact is, like we don't know anything about any industry right? when we get out. Because whether you've been in the military for five years or 35 years, 
that's still really probably all you know past high school. So getting out and getting some experience and exposure is great. Just make the leap and don't think that it's the last thing that you're going to do until you retire at 65. Yeah, that's so great. I love that point about it's not a nine-year commitment. And I realize that most of us have that, I'll call it baggage, where we we kind of, I, I at least view things in those like five to 10-year chunks, which doesn't apply. And I'll also name that coming from an academy, coming from the military, there's this extreme judgment of quitting, of leaving something. And it's like, that's actually not a downside in the civilian workforce. You can realize, I don't like this. And six months in, you can leave it. You have that option to share shift lanes a little bit faster. Nick, what's your story? What was your transition like? Yeah, so similar to Chris, I'm a, I'm a St. Louis boy myself. Uh, Naval Academy did well there. I uh, met my wife at the Harvard Kennedy School. We chased each other around in the military for, for that nine years. She was a, actually an Air Force Academy grad and an intelligence officer as well. So uh, we were fortunate enough to, to be able to get stationed together uh, several times the vast majority of my my time on submarines on the East Coast uh, finished up on the on the USS Washington, which was a new construction submarine. So I had a really great experience there being part of the acceptance test program, doing a lot of the acceptance testing for uh, the engine room and, and then taking the, the submarine out to sea for the very first time. But I enjoyed a short tour after that sea time and really tried to dedicate a lot of my energy to figuring out what I wanted to do when I, when I grew up. And fortunately, that short tour allowed me to some time and space to think. I worked with some folks at the Commit Foundation, who I'm sure you're, you're aware of, um, that connected me with a career coach that was, I think, really valuable to, to kind of pressure me to action instead of over analysis, because uh, I was definitely going to fall into that trap of too many Excel spreadsheets and pros and cons. But I, I knew that I wanted to do something in, in finance pretty early. I thought I wanted to do something quite, quite sexy in, in hedge funds or venture capital or private equity or uh, you know, aspiring to be a portfolio manager inside of a, inside of a mutual fund family. And then an opportunity uh, presented itself similar to the way that, that Chris and Brandon got connected to Northwestern Mutual. Um, I was introduced to, to the firm and started looking at um, and exploring the idea of working in wealth management. Um, that initially wasn't appealing to me because I didn't want to just work with wealthy people, uh, and and uh, and two, I felt um, a big uh, burden or, or pressure uh, about the idea that I would make a, a recommendation to to pick a specific fund or ETF or stock or bond, and that recommendation would go south for reasons beyond my control, and uh, and I'd be the one you know responsible to look that family in the eye and say, hey, this is this didn't go well, and it was because of what I told you to do. What I found, and, and so that was why I wanted to be a little bit farther removed from those, uh, from staring clients in the eye and working in that kind of bunker of the of the VC or, or hedge fund opportunity. But at the end of the day, what was more important to me was was to be able to pick the place that my family was going to live, uh, be able to, to raise my kids in, in Colorado Springs, which we really enjoy. And because of that, what I've found is, is that the wealth management work um, is really a great way to deliver a positive impact to families, right? It's, it's, I think you can have a, a much bigger impact on the date at which folks can decide to retire or what schools families can send their, their children to for college if you give them good advice on, on where to save their money 
whether that's inside of an employer-sponsored 401k or, you know, inside in a, in a hole in their backyard, right? We need to <laughs> kind of figure out where best they should put their dollars first. And it doesn't matter nearly as much if we're overweight or underweight Apple or Amazon instead of a mutual fund. So, so that's been a really, I think, powerful experience why I've enjoyed doing this work and, and breaking off to starting Imperium was a really exciting opportunity to be able to do uh, a lot of the same work that we were doing before, just as, as principally financial planners. But here we can we have much more flexibility um, to, to craft more recommendations on the investment platform. We've got much greater accessibility to, to unique investments like those venture capital opportunities, like building dividend yielding stock portfolios for clients in retirement. So it's, uh, it's a whole lot more fun. Uh, we get to solve unique problems each and every day. And, and I couldn't be happier with uh, the current trajectory of the firm. So for listeners, we'll get into kind of maybe practical things you can take away from their expertise, but I want to scratch my own entrepreneurial curiosity before we maybe change lanes into advice that you would have for listeners. I just love to hear the genesis. If there is like a moment when you three decided, okay, we're going to start Imperium Capital. And I'm also kind of curious, you know, distinct from that moment when you actually took the leap, because sometimes there can be quite a gap there. So what's that story of how you all joined together to start your own company and leave the security of a very well-known company and a good paycheck to, to go out on your own? Well, I like to say that um, we call ourselves Imperium Capital just because Prestige Worldwide was already taken. <laughs> um, but uh, but I'll let Brandon kind of tell the story because it's mostly his and then I'll, yeah. Well, there was a six pack or more involved on a balcony. <laughs> so uh, the the genesis came, I had a, a good friend of mine, an old teammate um, from 10th Group, who called me up and said, hey, can, can we grab a beer? And I was like, yeah, yeah, Drew, I never really say no to a beer. That'd be great. But the reason that he was, that he wanted to uh, do that is because his dad is a 1980 West Point grad. And his dad was in the same industry as I was. Drew knew what I was doing. And uh, he knew that his dad was staring retirement in the face. And uh, he wanted to enjoy his retirement. And he also wanted to know that his clientele was going to be taken care of because they were all his classmates, other, other army officers, you know, guys in that and families in that 55 to 65 age group. So we set up a phone call initially, you know, talked about what that might look like. He interviewed us. And I guess just the precursor to that is that, um, you know, we, we were presented with the opportunity and, and we had done enough work together that we knew that we were all kind of looking for something different. We didn't know what that different thing was going to be, but we knew that we were all pretty, pretty entrepreneurial minded and wanted to have the ability to create a organization that we could, we could have our fingerprints all over in our DNA and something that would last a lot longer than the three of us. Right. So Jim interviewed us and he blessed off on the, the planning heuristics that we had and they aligned with his and uh, the fact that we had distribution strategies that were mindful of taxation and down markets for his clients. And we got to a comfort level that um, we said, okay, well, let's start talking about numbers. 
And then the first step in being able to really talk about numbers was to get to a different platform. So we all kind of looked around and put a mark on the calendar and said, hey, let's be at this platform <laughs> by this date. We had a couple other uh, you know, individuals that we knew we wanted to take care of. And we knew also that the smart guy over here was going to have to have access to you know, the, the venture capital hedge fund, private equity, alternative investment platforms so that we could properly take care of foundations and you know, charitable remainder trust and, and things that we're going to have to put in place. So we, we accelerated that timeline just a touch faster than we probably would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. But we put a mark on the wall and said, here's when we're going to do it and we're going to make it happen. And uh, we're sitting here today. How far out was that? Was that like uh, six months, nine months, a, a month? Like how, when you put that date on a calendar, how far out was it? It was, it was more weeks than it was months. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Yep. Was that for each of you with families and things like that? Was that convincing your spouses that this was a risk worth taking? Was it convincing yourself? Like, I mean, was this standing at the top of a 50 foot cliff about to jump into the water or was it an easy decision to say, okay, we're going to do this? I think we signed, uh, signed some paperwork. Um, and then a week later I had my third kid uh, so my wife was a much harder uh, convincer, <laughs> but um, but I think I think that we all knew that um, once we had started going down this path and and kind of seen the light of what having an independent uh, financial planning and asset management firm would look like, we knew that we would have far more regrets not taking the leap um, than taking it. So it was it was pretty easy to do once uh, opportunity started to take shape and, and our spouses, God bless them, have been all very, very supportive. Justin, to kind of put all this story in a few more simple terms for kind of what this Genesis was is, we all knew that you know we have different strengths and we're good at what we do. And we could take care of clients that we have grown to love and work with and be better suited for, maybe on a different platform. So that was already kind of stirring. It was probably a year total generation from when Brandon first got the call at beer. Nick and I, I came in a couple months after, you know, they had already been working together. We knew we were a good fit. So we had the relationships with ourselves and our clients. So there's a revenue stream and a trust. And we were already doing essentially what we were going to do on our own. So we developed skills, we developed trust, we had a revenue stream. And then buying a book is what we're talking about with the other gym to where it's an additional revenue stream. Yeah, it's a cost, it's a note, but we could kind of project, you know, based on markets, another 2008 happens, you know, that's going to be a tough year this year, if that's the case, but we had revenue stream potential. We knew what it was going to cost. And this is a pretty low overhead business. Once you make sure that we're doing the right thing for folks compliance wise, we have all the right systems in place and we chose to use a bigger broker dealer to fall under as kind of our parent. So we are our own firm. So we pick and chose who we wanted to work with, what streams of revenue we wanted, what platforms we're gonna use and outsource, and what we're gonna do ourselves. And with the three of us together, a team, we could do quite a bit ourselves, but we did choose to outsource a few things and essentially buy revenue uh, to include what we had already built with the client base we had. So I guess that's in a little more simple of terms on like what the business looked like. And I think we might jump into this later, but kind of looking at the structure between, you know, one advisor or planner versus three, you know, how are we going to build that from a business perspective? 
And like we said, it made a lot of sense to work together because we can help people better together. We hired uh, really a director of operations that manages admin, is more clients, you know, scheduling facing that way, uh, helping things get processed. And then Nick's clearly the smart one. <laughs> Brandon's going to talk to the large business owners that, you know, he can talk smooth to and just like be a good guy that builds trust. And I'm kind of in between. So I'm more of like a senior associate right now until we get set. But I'm I'm very client facing and I'm very planning oriented as well. I just know they're both better at each of those individually than me. Uh, so together it works out great. I can flex between what their two skill sets are and cover down on the business side, um, you know, marketing little things that entrepreneurs have to think about on top of what we're actually doing as a business. So it's been a great fun time to figure out what the structure is actually you know, we help businesses a lot, but how do we help ourselves structuring the, you know, the legal advice, the actual entity itself, internal operating agreements, uh, taxes, how are we going to fall under Imperium? Are we going to be first and Imperium's under us? All those cool, fun decisions to make. Uh, we did probably over about three months. Yeah, we said yes within weeks, but we had to build that and up until the moment we said, hey, we're looking at this. We gave our employer a heads up before because we were employees. Um, say, hey, we're looking at this. We're going to give you the opportunity to convince us otherwise. And just we want to be honest as someone that's working with you and for you. Um, and it turned out, you know, everyone was great and cordial. And what we had built and worked on previous to us handing in resignation letters, which was hard, you know, it's hard not to take personally, but it was a business decision. Um, but that was kind of our our genesis to get where we are now as an Imperium Cap. That's great. That's great. And I appreciate you too. I was, I was kind of curious about what that process was like handing in notice and if there was, you know, but it seems like went as well as it could. I'm aware that, you know, our audience is all veterans. Some are on active duty. Some have already transitioned. Many of them are veteran-owned businesses or aspiring to be veteran-owned businesses. Maybe I'll just start open-ended and broad. Like what advice do you want people to walk away from this conversation? Like if you had the microphone to just share something they don't know or that you wish that they knew, maybe we can start just open-ended there and then, and then drill down. So mine will just be broader. It has nothing to do with what we do. But I think don't be afraid if you're thinking about taking the leap, even if you're after, you know, you're over the, the hump with the 10-year mark of being in the military. I would say explore options early and often. And, and rely on that military or that academy network and do not be afraid. I don't care if you don't know anybody that you're looking at on LinkedIn, but you're like, man, I wish I knew something about that company or I wish I knew something about that industry. If you send them a message and they don't get back to you and they're former military or a former academy grad, you didn't want to talk to them anyways. Okay. The academy grad and military network is stronger than anybody that's still in can imagine on the outside. Mm. So leverage the heck out of that. And don't be afraid to reach out to anybody if you're interested in, in a company that they're with or something that they do, um, because they will help you and take a 15-minute phone call if they're a good gal or good dude. I think on, on a more tactical level, as it relates to some advice that we, we give folks, I think that if you're still in, you're, you're about to get out, there's a couple key things to think about that we try to share with everyone. One is go to JAG before you exit. 
update your will, update a trust if you have one, uh, take advantage of some of those free legal services that the military is going to provide you. And, and it's going to save you a couple thousand dollars on the back end when uh, guys like us tell you to, to do it or that something needs updating. One huge decision that a lot of our clients uh, face is as it relates to the pension um, when, they're, when they're retiring. So I'm sure many folks have heard of that survivor uh, benefit plan or survivor benefit program that essentially represents a discount on the pension in order to protect it um, for their surviving spouse and then that they retire on Friday and then get hit by a bus on Monday. So it's a really important thing to, to make decisions about. And one thing that we often tell folks is to at least explore um, self-insuring for that pension. Right. The survivor benefit plan is essentially just life insurance. The problem is, is it's life insurance that gets more expensive over time and that you can't really turn off. So there's often some very easy ways to develop or to get your own life insurance that would provide a death benefit to your surviving spouse that's greater than that future income stream from the survivor benefit plan for much lower costs, especially if you're healthy folks. So at least explore that. The other things that we try to help folks recognize or anticipate are that just the way in which you're going to feel taxes on the outside is going to be very different than uh, than how you felt it while you were in, right? A lot of those those base incentive pays, uh, or especially, you know, BAH and, and those uh, special duty pays, right, often come um, in your pocket tax-free. So the same income that you had in the military on the outside is going to feel very, very different. The way in which we sometimes help with that is we can think about strategically recognizing more income the year in which you get out, right? Really taking dollars from your the traditional side of that first savings plan, converting them to, to Roth or from pre-tax to post-tax that year in which you get out. And a lot of times I can save you tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in the long run. So those are some, some ideas we, we often share with folks. I think a big, a big and important thing to, to do is as you're exploring different job opportunities is to take a close look at those benefits. And once you've selected the job that you're gonna, you're gonna take at least first, right? Uh, to make sure that you're being very thoughtful about the benefits that you, that you elect, the decisions that you're making inside your, your 401k, the health insurance that you're gonna take from your company, the disability income protection and things of that nature. So um, that's typically where we where we start with a lot of folks is just helping them make good quality decisions on their employer-sponsored um, plans. That way we, we can know that we're being helpful, valuable right from the jump. And then we'll, we kind of fit in the ways in which we can help them on the outside. So I, I think that was what you had to do. Yeah, that's, no, that's fantastic. And I think it's kind of all of those pieces of advice show very small tactical changes that people can, you know, can do that will save them a lot of frustration, pain, or financial loss. And they're just kind of having that knowledge. And I was thinking about that when you talked about liquidity events for companies. For those not familiar, that means basically you turn a company into money or turn something into money. You know, most entrepreneurs will only experience that maybe once or a few times in their career. But Chris and his team, they've seen this so much that they have that knowledge, very, very detailed, nuanced things that if you're doing it for your first time, you likely don't know about. So I just thought those were great examples, Nick, of, of just kind of very specific things that people don't necessarily have that knowledge and you can help them avoid some common pitfalls. What about you, Chris? What would you add? Yeah, I would say from the tactical level on 
you know, what we typically advise on, not that you need to get it from us, find someone you trust that you know, that's either family, you worked with them before, or that's local. But if you like advisors or advice, that could be attorneys, CPA, typically people that use a CPA and not HR Block or TurboTax, or use an attorney, whether that's estate planning, or if you're an entrepreneur selling your business, you know, merchant acquisition attorney, if they have different people around their family roundtable or the business roundtable, they should probably have some kind of advisor. Now, financial advisors don't always get the best understandably why. We work with a lot of great people and not all of them are those great people. So keep in mind that someone is trying to sell something, a service, whatever that is, a product. Advisors are one of them, but add them to your family roundtable. At least get advice. See if they're good and have them work with your other advisor. So legal, CPA, adult children, business partners, have a family roundtable and get advice that crosstalks between all of them, especially if you're a business owner. That's going to be very valuable. And you might have a few too many people looking up your skirt, but it's probably going to be worth something, even if you don't do business with them, to get their perspective and their perspective bounced off your other advisors within your roundtable. I think this is valuable for, for anybody getting out too, right? Is so coming from an Army SF background, I was really searching for one of the tangible, transferable skills that I have, right? And how do I put that on a resume? And I think our ability in the military to, to coordinate multiple lines of effort into a coherent thought is one of the biggest intangibles that we can bring to a company that probably has never done that or you know, to a firm that doesn't do that. So for instance, what Chris just alluded to is for, for a liquidity event, right? We will take personal CPAs, business CPAs, you know, foundations, foundation resources or whoever the, the foundation is that we're pre-establishing before the event happens and make sure that the estate planning attorney knows about this or is, is on the forefront of it so that we're being as efficient as we can on the front end. Uh, for the, the year that the event happens or, or across multiple years, plus the, the estate plan so that we can pass generational wealth and, and we're mindful of what the CPA is looking at, we're mindful of what the estate planning attorney is looking at, and most importantly, what the, the family that this is happening to wants to do, right? But at least they have a quarterback. Everybody in the military is used to working with the staff. Well, that's, that's what we do in a staff, Right. We take the S2 perspective, the S6 perspective, um, or I should say the Intel, the comms. I know that everyone calls them something different. But <laughs> we've got yeah all these different lines of effort that, that we can quarterback into a coherent plan for, for the future. I think that's great. I love the word that Chris had used of round table. And it made me think of, you know, if you're a, a king reigning over your kingdom, you're getting advice and counsel from a variety of places and you're trying to integrate that. And so I, I really like this thought of having someone like you all in your corner, getting that wisdom, getting that specific knowledge and also sharing it with the other parties because these play off of each other. It's not, it's not siloed knowledge. Like it impacts legal, it impacts accounting, it impacts all of these different things. It's something I know so little about. I'm, I'm guessing many of our listeners are ignorant as well. Could you talk a little bit about the financial industries and just the, the different opportunities available to transitioning service members? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, there are many, 
Uh, I think I read on your website, Justin, that it's like one out of every eight or eight percent or something, something of that nature um, of transition veterans go on to into the financial services industry, which is vast, right? Um, and I think I think that um, there are there are ways that you can you can become a, a financial advisor like us, one that starts um, with with kind of an investment focus. Often you tend to work. Under the um, under the parent company of a of a banking institution, those are great opportunities. A similar one is is you you focus on financial planning and you work under an insurance company to to start. And I think these are really great and would encourage a lot of folks to to explore is is opportunities to work for a big financial. Um, institution where you get to sample, you know, six months working for that banking arm, six months doing some sort of operations role, six months doing some sort of financial reporting and analysis, um, you know, job, and then you can kind of figure out where you best fit. Of course, many folks are are certain start off with an MBA program or some other advanced degree, and I think that's a wonderful way to to kind of get a sense of what you might want to do exploring through those, those opportunities. Um, but, but really one, one thing I think that um, I wish I had done differently and I'll share with, um, with folks is that if you know exactly what you want to do, there are different designations in the industry that I think are really powerful to help you get a job and also show, show value to future clients. Those are the, the certified financial planner designation, chartered financial analyst, also being kind of two of the, the gold standards in the industry. And if you have some time for um, a, a non-deployable tour in the military where you can really focus on building your skill set, dedicating some time focused on acquiring those designations, I think is a really valuable way to spend your energies and effort so that you can then also learn more about the industry and focus on kind of what narrow vein you want to be a part of. I don't know how to ask this, but I'm just like, the, the more that you're talking about this industry, the more I'm, I'm realizing the value of trust. And it feels as intimate as a relationship with a doctor where, I mean, you're, you have to be pretty vulnerable, right? If someone's working with you, you have to know their finances, which is something <laughs> we always, you know, seek to obfuscate and, and avoid talking about publicly. And I'm just keenly aware of like how there could be, like you said, there's a lot of good players and bad players. And my fear in this situation is like, man, is the person giving me advice that's truly going to benefit me or is it benefiting them and all of that? What, what advice do you have for people about sorting through the different options out there and really finding finding a partner where your best interest is primary. Like I honestly can't think of anything else like this, at least with, you know, with medicine, there's maybe some conflict of interest, but like you just kind of assume that most doctors are going to put your interests first. And in this field, like, I don't know if that trust is there for me, for most people. I would advise, I tell folks always to ask, a prospective advisor if they're a fiduciary, right? If they're going to put my interests ahead of their own, right? And also what that means to them. And so to us, that means that we're going to provide data-driven recommendations. We're not going to just be, you know, off the cuff, willy-nilly saying, hey, I think, you know, Tesla sounds like a good buy today, right? We're going to put some numbers and facts behind the, 
the recommendations that we put in front of us. Another thing that I think I really have enjoyed about, again, like we said, our, our new platform is that I can put um, clients and prospective clients in the exact same allocation, the exact same individual securities and um, that my wife and I are in, right? And then when I place a trade to remove the Invesco QQQ trust from the um, from their Roth IRA allocation and place a Vanguard you know, S&P 500 index fund in there, I place that trade in the same time that I get the trade, Brandon and Wendy get the trade, right? Chris and Katie get the trade, and so does it. So I think it's really easy if, if you have an advisor that's the same age as you or approximately during your wealth accumulation years to just ask for that sanity check. Say, hey, show me what you're in and why, if there are differences, explain those to me. Right? The other thing that I think is, is important and that the doctor analogy is a really good one. My dad recently told me that he's not getting any more doctors that are older than him because they keep dying on him. Same thing for, I think, your financial advisor. Right. As you're entering retirement, um, those are the most, we see those as like the most critical years, the years where you start stop placing money into your, your nest egg and start taking those distributions. I think it's vital that you have an advisor that you know is going to be there for you during that bridge from wealth accumulation to wealth distribution. So we think that your advisor should be about the same age as you during your accumulation years and younger than you right, when you're taking those distributions. Sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to echo it. I think that if you can't sit across the TV screen at least, <laughs> um, um, and ask your advisor what they're invested in, and if they can't give you a straight answer, that that looks pretty darn close to what you currently have in your portfolio, um, then there's probably something wrong there. And the other thing that's a usually a red flag um, is that if they're not planning for your goals and the timeline for those goals with a, a well-diversified portfolio, and they're trying to time the market or they're into day trading or they're into these high risk, high reward, high um, you know, potential loss type of investments for, for something that is goal-oriented, it's probably, probably time to just go, go get a second opinion. That is not for the common investor. A lot of common sense can just go into well-diversified, actively or passively managed portfolio. It, it does not have to be sexy, even though everyone likes to have a little fun. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine with a, a certain percentage of your portfolio if you want to, want to have a Robinhood account and do that type of thing. But that should not be the advice that a fiduciary is giving you when it comes to real investment management. Going back to what Nick said, I really like this thought that your clients are basically investing with a similar strategy that you are. You're on a level playing field, which gives me a lot of, of faith. I like that sense too, Brendan, of making sure that my unique desires and position in life is reflected in my investment. It's not a one size fits all. Like each of us are at different points in our career and life and all of that. The other thing that just comes through, like similar to that doctor analogy is everything you're describing is so, you know, from my vantage point, so incredibly complicated. It feels like, you know, it's not something that I'm just going to teach myself right? Like in the same way that going to a doctor, it's like, I'm not going to just read up on WebMD and then make my own medical decisions. Like it is a lot of nuance and a lot, a lot to be aware of. And so 
as you're speaking, it just is a good reminder to me of like, wow, this is like, this is everyone's livelihood. This is our retirement. Like you need, you know, this is not something that on nights and weekends you teach yourself. Like you need that. I just keep coming back to that phrase. You need that round table of trusted people to help you figure out what's right for you. I know that we've got about five minutes left. I always like to leave the last question open-ended, but we'll leave a little bit more space here. What have we not covered that you want to make sure listeners know? I want to make sure we've got at least five minutes to go around and just anything that we weren't able to get to, anything that you feel like listeners should really know, it can be broad, but I want to make sure you all have the last word on this. Yeah. So one, the main reason we're here is to give advice on those transitioning either finding an advisor or advisor team or going into the financial industry. So be very cognizant that no matter where you are in your military career, you could retire um, as an 06. And if you're looking at the financial industry, as Brandon has said, you don't have that technical experience specifically here. You're probably going to start out at an entry-level position, which could be business development in general. Sales is what that really means. And they're not interviewing you. You should be interviewing them. They want you. They might not know how to handle you depending on who's in that firm. It could be other veterans there. Great. You got a better leg up on how they handle who you are and how disciplined and how motivated you're going to be to do well for people. And they just want you to sit back, listen, and do their process. So know that if you're looking at the financial industry, interview them. Don't let them interview you. Just from a mental perspective. They're going to take you, most likely, unless you're trying to get into a higher level position. So know that you have a lot of leverage there. So find the firm that best fits your values. And you can look at different firms, look at where their biggest stream of revenue is coming from, and know that that's probably what they're going to focus on when you go in. If you have grandiose ideas of being a planner or you know a fund manager or something, look at what kind of company you're going into. If it's an insurance company, they're probably going to want you to business develop on the insurance side. Insurance is a great product and it fits a lot of needs within a lot of different plans. But if you want to do more than that, it's going to take a couple of years to build your own niche and get enough of a foundation in the company to kind of veer away from that and do more of a broad uh, spectrum. So just know that the financial industry wants you. There's a high turnover rate. A lot of people go in, they think they're going to make a lot of money and do a little bit of work. Nope. You have to be very disciplined. You have to learn a lot. And be very okay with an entry-level position until you truly get good at it, no matter who you are or where you're coming from in your military career. So that's from the going into the industry side, uh, from my perspective. Um, And then from just finding a financial advisor perspective, like we all kind of hit on, have an introductory meeting. We don't ever go into a first meeting that goes right into numbers. We talk for at least 15 minutes to see if we're a good fit. We've gotten very comfortable telling people that you should probably either do it on your own, just the way you think the way you want, your characteristics, we're not going to be a good fit because we're going to want to let you know what we think from experience and perspective because things you told me about your kids, what your legacy is, where your business is currently, there's a lot of other work you need to do. And if you think you can do it on your own, I think you should do it because we're not really going to be a good fit. There's a lot more work to be done that we want to give you advice on. Um, And if they're not asking those questions about your family, your goals, your timeline, they're probably there to sell you a product. So they need to care about you and what your vision is. Those are my kind of last two tactical pieces of advice and really why we're on the podcast here. I just say, take some time and figure out what's important to you, whether it's, whether it's job satisfaction, 
personal, professional satisfaction, family satisfaction, and find a, a, a position, a role, um, and next opportunity that's as closely aligned um, to those objectives as possible. And also know that this is, uh, transitions are always imperfect. So, so don't put too much pressure on yourself to find the perfect landing spot. Get close and then keep asking more questions and tack um, those goals that you have to find out where you want to be and get there early, right? As early as you can. Yeah, I'll echo that. Don't be afraid to make the leap, right? You're, you're definitely not the first guy or gal that's made a transition from the military into, into one industry or another. But we've all been on deployments or been on training missions where it should have been a terrible time, right? Like there was no part of the environment that was supposed to be good, <laughs> but they turned out to be fun because we were with great people. Yeah. Yep. And good leadership. Yep. And we've all been on those, you know, those trips that were supposed to be like, hey man, we're going to Italy. This is going to be fun. And it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just, Figure out, and I mean, don't figure out, but do take a take a broader look. If you want to trade the bureaucracy of, of the Navy or the Army or the Air Force for another bureaucracy uh, and join a corporate culture, because that's a big decision. And then once you've said either yes or no to that, then interview companies. Yes, you're sitting there and they're they're trying to judge you and you're trying to figure out how to talk about yourself, but look at their culture. Are the people happy? Are the people healthy? Is it a healthy work environment? If so, you can probably go on that terrible deployment and have a lot of fun. <laughs> Even if you're working really, really hard, right? So make sure that's a part of the process as you get out is, is you taking a pragmatic look and saying, hey, would I have fun with the people that I'm looking to work with? I love this. Well, you know, a couple of things in closing. First of all, for listeners at beyondtheuniform.org, we'll have show notes with links to everything that Chris, Brandon, and Nick talked about, including Bunker Labs, the Commit Foundation. I'll have a link to Imperium Capital, to all of Chris, Brandon, and Nick's, their background. Um, be sure to check that out. But I just want to thank you guys. And I'm just kind of looking back on my notes. So I feel like we covered so much ground here. And some of the things that I'm taking away is, you know, Nick, what you had said, this, the importance of clarity of what you want. Like it really does start with defining what your family wants, what your unique career aspirations and life aspirations are. And I feel like each of you are great examples of that, of choosing to start your own company because of what you were wanting out of life, which I, I love to see. I love this thought too of, of choosing a large company to be able to move within there and get exposure to different areas. And each of your backgrounds kind of shows that you kind of had a taste of something and then were able to tweak from there. And I feel like that's, you know, your story is so encouraging me, for me because hopefully listeners get this as well. It really de-stresses this thought of like finding the ideal thing right away. Each of you kind of started small and tweaked and now you're doing your own thing, which is great to see. But I feel like sometimes we put pressure on veterans to kind of know from the get-go what they're going to do. So I appreciate the uh, the three man hours that we were able to squeeze out from your company day. I appreciate your generosity and sharing your stories with our audience. And I hope that audience people listening will reach out to you as they have questions or, or even would love to work with you. So thank you so much for your time today. Surface, surface, surface. <laughs> 
Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our chief of staff, Steve Bain, our editor, Lex Brown, and our head of social media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.